89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and joining me is a man who uh, I've never met until today and the wonders of Zoom, we, we get to do that face-to-face -face in a sense and uh, you get to hear his voice. But he has helped out my wife and I for many years in our parenting. He's uh, a bit of a parenting expert. Dr. Justin Coulson joins us. G'day, Justin. Unknowingly helpful. Who, who knew? I didn't even, <laughs> completely unaware, but I'm so glad to hear it. Okay. I'm, sh I'm sure that you've actually heard that from a whole lot of people as you know, I mean, that's the great thing about putting out your books and your resources and things online, um, that I'm sure there is a whole lot of parents who come up to you and say, listen, thank you so much. You, you've helped me. Do, do you get that often? Well, well, not during COVID, not during isolations <laughs> and lockdown and all that sort of thing, but, but normally, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of bizarre. I, I've recently uh, was in a shopping center. Uh, I'm based in Queensland. So we have a little more, capacity to move around than you do at the moment and um and somebody walked past me and said do do i know you, you know, and they they then proceeded to tell me how i'd been helpful in their family and it's it's a great feeling but it's also kind of when i'm out and about with my own kids I, i've got to be really careful right i can't scowl at them i can't look at them the wrong way because somebody might notice that the parenting expert uh, you know was was rousing on his kids or something like that. so it's it, there's a little bit of pressure associated with it and uh i, I just deal with that uh, but oh my goodness it's so cool you know every now and again I'd be getting on an airplane and somebody would have one of my books or something like that and it's it's a pretty nice thing to be able to spend your life helping people make their families happier yeah it's excellent can you take us just a, a, a briefly you know often we spend a, a bit of time on, on this show um, talking about some of the personal profile parts of it we we're going to spend a bit more about the tips and hints and things you can help us with during COVID but maybe just quickly on that where did the the love of wanting to be sort of focused around helping families and, and, and parents and kids come from for you? Was that sort of something that was always a, a part of who you were as you grew up? Like, you know, some kids and teenagers are always sort of family focused or is that something that came a bit later for you? Yeah, I'll give you the short version. I used to be a radio announcer. I worked for some of the biggest radio stations in the country, uh, an FM radio announcer, you know, playing all the hot hits and giving away cash prizes and all that sort of thing. Uh, my wife and I had two kids, a three-nager and, uh, and a newborn. <laughs> And, and the three-year-old was just uh, just driving me insane. And uh, after one incident in particular where I just got it so wrong, and, and I mean, I, I did everything that you're not supposed to do. You know, I mean, I'm, I've got a high school education. I'm a uni, I, I've, I've never been to uni. I'm just, I'm just a radio guy. Um, it, it occurred to me that I did not want my family to look like it was gonna look like if I kept on treating my three-year-old the way I had treated her in that incident. It was, it was just abysmal. It was appalling. Uh, and, and I'm embarrassed by it. And, and I feel, I still feel terrible shame and pain because of it. Uh, so I had a long conversation with my wife. Um, we decided that I would quit my radio career and go back to school. And so I had to go and do a year of TAFE and then I did four years of uni. I ended up graduating with a first class honors in psychology and went and did a PhD in what we call positive psychology, but mainly with the focus on families and relationships and essentially how to have happy families. That's what I've called my business, happy families. Uh, and we had, we went from two kids to three kids to four kids to five kids while I was doing the studies. Yeah. And uh, once I left university, so I got my PhD, I worked as a lecturer and a researcher for a little while and, and then started the business, started writing books, started giving talks, had our sixth baby, all girls, six daughters. And, um, and, and that's kind of the short version of it. But, you know, to, to really get to the guts of your question, I started doing this because I was terrible at it. 
Mm. And I just knew that I could be the coolest radio DJ in the world and get backstage passes to Taylor Swift and One Dimension and oh, sorry, One Direction and, and all of those guys, <laughs> which I knew my kids would love, but they probably weren't going to love me. And I decided that it was much more important that my kids loved me than that they loved the backstage passes. So I gave it up and, uh, and, and went to do those studies literally so that I could learn how to be a better dad and a better husband. Yeah, oh, that's a, a wonderful story. And I, I know for, for our family, part of what we hold on to dearly is um, we so often say when we're trying to work out priorities, we, we sort of cast forward and go, well, what, what do I want to have when I'm 75? And well, I want to have kids around me who love me. I want to have, well, that, that actually means right now I've got to start being a great dad. That means right now I've got to start doing that. Otherwise those things don't occur. And it feels like you, you went through a, that sort of same process. It's wonderful to see that just a, a desire to improve yourself has now helped so many other people, not only here in Australia, but around the world. And that's kind of the thing that happened, right? I mean, I looked at my family as I was completing my studies and I thought we've, we've actually held it together. Not only have we held it together, but we are pretty crazy about each other. Most of the time we, we really, we love our family. Uh, I mean, we still have kids that get cranky at each other and parents who get overtired and overstressed and overworked and overwhelmed. Um, have you ever noticed uh, that, that you'd never get whelmed? You're only ever... No. Overwhelmed or underwhelmed? What is the with that? Anyway, I don't know. but as parents, we're often overwhelmed. And uh, I, I remember having this conversation with Kylie where I said, um, you know, this is, this is some pretty cool stuff that we've learned. Uh, what about if I start sharing it with people and see what happens? And um, it, it, it's actually interesting that we're having this conversation just now because uh, you know how Facebook gives you an on this day and it shows yeah. you where you were at a few years ago and all that kind of thing. And just this week gone, uh, Facebook gave me an on this day update nine years ago this week i wrote on my personal facebook page how excited i was that somewhere around nearly 300 people had pressed the like button on my happy family's facebook page and i was like i can't believe that nearly 300 people that i pretty much don't know have pressed like and and now we've got like 130 140,000 people it's it's been phenomenal uh, you know a, a, a clip went viral and we had 75 million views on this thing and, and it's just it's it's extraordinary the opportunity that uh, that I think we we have to to influence and change the world uh, and it's 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 such a gift it's such a blessing and I I thank heaven every day for the yeah. wonderful opportunities to help people make their families happier. Uh, what I love I think about your story is that it is relatable, right? We've all had those moments. I can very specifically go to one moment in my parenting where I went, um, yeah, that's the one moment I don't want to. I don't want to have a relive. I, I, I need to improve. I need to get better. And I think all of us, every parent has those moments. And, and so for you to get to this point, I think, I think it's relatable for us. My guest this evening is Dr. Justin Coulson. We're going to be back with him as we talk tonight about how we can help each other. And more specifically, how can Dr. Justin help us with our parenting during this time of COVID? We're going to talk sibling rivalries and we're going to talk resilience training for our kids next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light, you're in community conversation with Clayton. And my special guest this evening is parenting expert, Dr. Justin Coulson. We've been talking and been promoting the fact that you're coming on, Justin. And um, we've been talking about a few different things. So I'm wondering if we can get stuck into one of them. And, and that's the idea of um, sibling rivalries. Uh, we know there's sort of pecking orders that tend to be in families. We know there's birth order stuff. We know all these sorts of things. We know kids are always fighting just generally and as well as playing generally. Um, during COVID, have you, have you understood and noticed and I suppose 
how can we actually get a bit of help to, to help with the kids, especially now that they're just together more? I know two of mine are just saying, well, when we went to school, even though we weren't big fans of school, at least we didn't, we weren't together the whole time. Um, what have you noticed? And I suppose, what can you help us with? The first thing I'd say is that, uh, a government shutdown like this, the, this forced isolation essentially is really bad for psychology. It's, it's really bad for our children's well-being, uh, and, and I know that there are other considerations that we have to be aware of and be mindful of. And it's not just about this one thing, but as somebody who has spent my life really studying this particular issue, I'm very, very, very concerned for the psychological welfare of our kids, especially children who come from homes where, Perhaps they don't have the same you know, lower socioeconomic homes, uh, places where maybe they, they don't have two parents who are available to them. There's only one very stressed out parent who's trying to juggle home learning with uh, working from home or having to go off to work while the kids are. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much challenge and stress around that. And then there are people who are living in apartments with kids and the kids can't get out because there's no yard or in a townhouse where there's, you know, three meters by three meters to try and get some physical activity. And so, so it's a very, very tough time in terms of sibling rivalry. Uh, I mean, this just magnifies and amplifies what's already typically a bit of a challenge in most, most homes. But when parents complain to me about sibling rivalry under normal circumstances, the first thing I say is, well, how do you get on with your siblings? Because even as adults, most of us will admit, I mean, now some people have beautiful relationships with their siblings and I don't want to take away from that. If you do more power to you, that's wonderful. But most adults that I talk to will say, yeah, you know what? My siblings still niggle me a bit. They still get under my skin. I don't mind if I only see them a few times a year. I'm fine with that. Uh, and and um, quite often they'll say, yeah, they live interstate or they live overseas and they still bother me, you know, and, and I'm a thousand kilometers or more away from them. And then I sort of shift the, the context a little bit more and I say, well, let's not talk about your blood relatives. Let's talk about that person that you're married. You know, that person that you live with, that is the love of your life, the person that you've made a lifelong commitment to and said, I will be with you and cherish you and love you. And how do you get on with them? You know, do you ever have any conflict with them? Because even that person that we've made a conscious choice to be with irritates us sometimes, you know, that there are problems in most relationships. And in fact, relationships are a process of breakdown and repair and break down and repair. That's what we do in relationships. We break them down and then we repair them. And then we, it's hard. And so if we can't get along as adults with our siblings or our neighbors, or even the very person that we cherish more than anyone, our, our, our life partner, our husband, wife, spouse, it's kind of asking a bit much, isn't it? To expect that our children are going to get along with each other all the time, be kind all the time and love being in each other's space, especially during an isolation lockdown that the government has enforced on us. So they can't even get out of the house, can't go down to the local park, can't hang out with friends, can't go to school. It's a, it's a really tall order. And I don't think that it's fair that we should expect that our children will get on. We just need to teach them how they can deal with the breakdown by repairing effectively and then getting on with life. Mm. Are there best ways to perhaps uh, allow some of that breakdown to occur in this environment? You know, I'm thinking across the city where we're, we're, this is what's occurring, you know, and, and yet breakdowns are happening. So is there, a, yeah. is there a better way to actually facilitate that? Not try to stop it necessarily, but facilitate it? Well, it's really important that we, we don't justify or condone any kind of violence or bullying mm. or, or, you know, I'm not suggesting that unkindness and sibling rivalry is quote unquote un, is okay. Like we, we do want to minimize that kind of 
conflict because it, it feels horrible. And yet if we respond to it well as parents and help our children to respond to it well themselves, it can be a time of really great learning. It can be time of development of compassion and empathy and a whole lot of characteristics and traits that we know are so valuable for people to possess as they get older. We can teach our children kindness and the ability to take the perspective of another person. So we, we probably don't have time to go into it in great detail. And please forgive, this is, this is not meant to be a shameless plug. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've got free resources somewhere around the place anyway. If you just Googled my name, Dr. Justin Coulson, and typed in the words vicious circle, you'll find what I'm about to talk about in brief. So in, in my book, which is where I explain it the most, uh, a book called 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know, I talk about this vicious circle. And, and essentially, we walk our kids through a process where we get them to be accountable for the things that they've done, but also to take the perspective of their sibling. And this works with kids anywhere older than around about well, probably, probably four or five uh, be, below that age. It's just a bit tricky. And below that age, by the way, for parents who are wondering what you do when the kids are fighting is you walk in and you separate them and you distract them. And then when they've calmed down, you talk to them about how important it is to be nice to each other. And you just, you just have to keep on reinforcing it again and again and again. It's really important, by the way, when you reinforce this stuff, you don't reinforce it like you're cranky. You, you know, if your children are not being kind to each other, you don't walk in and unkindly tell them to be kind. Yep. It, it, it just doesn't work. We have to be gentle. It's so easy to do that, oh. Justin. I mean, it's easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it kind of is, right? And, and it's a common thing that yeah. we do as parents. It's like the parent who walks in and sees one child hitting another child and uh, walks up to that child and says, we don't hit and gives them a whack. So we don't hit in this house and, and gives them a hit to teach them not to hit. Or the child who's bitten their sibling and the parent walks over and goes, ah, that'll teach you about biting, won't it? And the kid's like, oh, yeah. All it teaches them is that the big person can do horrible things to them. Much better, much better ways to deal with it. So essentially, the vicious circle looks like this. I look at the child that I'm going to call the perceived aggrieved. Okay, well, this is the, the long way of saying the victim. But, you know, in sibling conflict, quite often there is no actual victim. And one child's done this and another child's done that. And we, we, we never really get to the bottom of it. So we're going to call the victim the perceived aggrieved, which is a big way of saying you're the kid who feels like you've been hard done by here, but we're not really quite sure about whether that's true or not. So we're going to talk about this perception of being aggrieved, the perceived aggrieved. So I look at my kids and, and let's assume that my, you know, there's two kids fighting, the 10-year-old and the 12-year-old. And the 12-year-old's always going to win, right? The 12-year-old's always going to get in trouble because the 10-year-old's going to whine and play out the, the victim card and I'm smaller and my big sister did this to me. That, that's just how it works. The little one always gets the sympathy and, and, and hams it up. And the big one's always like, oh, she did this to me first. That's, that, that's the standard thing. So I'll look at my 10-year-old and, and call her the perceived degree. And I'll say, well, what did your sister do? And she'll start to tell me all the things. And while she's doing that, the big one will be like, I did not, that's not fair. And I'm like, hang on, no, no, it's not your fair, no, not, not, not your turn. You'll get your turn in a minute. I just want to listen to the 10-year-old. And so she'll tell me, and I'll write it all down. And I'll say, well, how'd you feel when that happened? And she's like, oh, well, I felt there. And, and, and it gives her that opportunity. It's like, I felt horrible. It gives a big, a big opportunity for her to just whinge and whine and carry on. And, and then... I ask that same child, the perceived aggrieved. So when you felt like that, what did you do to your sister? And this is this wonderful moment of accountability and ownership and responsibility on the part of the kid who's playing the victim. 
And then all of a sudden the 12 year old's like, yeah, what did you do? You know, like it's, it's this, this breath of fresh air is this relief, like, oh, this might actually turn out to be better than I thought. And, and so then the little one has to say, well, I did this and this and this in response. And then I say to the little one, and how did that make your big sister feel when you did that? And again, there's, there's a sense of empathy. And what happens as you go through a process like this is the kids recognize, well, I ask three questions. I say, who started it? And they still point at each other. I'm like, it doesn't matter who started it. We're never going to know who started it. Trying to figure out who started it is, is a pointless exercise. The, the real question is who's contributing to it. And when we look at all the stuff that I've written down and the way it's been diagrammed and mapped out, you have to admit that if there's a conflict that both of us are contributing to it, right? It, it would not be a conflict if only one person was contributing. It would be bullying. It would be victimization. But as soon as we've got a proper conflict, two people are contributing to it. And so I say, who started it? Who cares? Who's contributing to it? Ah, oh, we both are. Yeah, right. Okay. Question number three, who's responsible for fixing it? See, my, my job as a parent when there's sibling rivalry is to facilitate empathy and repair. And the best way to do that is to pull all of the victim blaming out of it and instead, or, 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 you know, or the finger pointing, to pull everything out of it and simply focus on when you do this, here's how it makes other people feel, which means that then they retaliate like this and you feel like that. And then you feel justified in treating them badly and it goes around and around in a vicious circle. It's horrible. The, the funniest time I ever did this, my, um, my 10 year old and seven year old were at each other. And I said to Lily, who was my seven year old, I said, so what did Annie do? And she gave me this big list of all these horrible things that Annie did. And Annie hated hearing it. She was so upset because she was like, yeah, well, Lily. And I said, no, 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 just, Lily can be in, you know, we'll, we'll own Lily's stuff soon. Let's just hear what you did. So I wrote it all down. I said, is that true, Annie? Did you do those things? And she's like, yes. I said, fine. And then I said, Lily, how did you feel when Annie did those things to you? And Lily, seven years old, she looks at me and she says, vengeful. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely. Like, you felt vengeful. Wow. wow. <laughs> Great word. I wrote yes, that down. Exactly. But, but what we're doing in this instance is we're giving the kids a sense of what's going on, the inner workings of their heart and mind. Mm. And the ability to take the perspective of another person and recognize that actions have consequences. When I do stuff, other people feel things. And when those people feel those things, they'll often translate those feelings into action. And, and the easiest way to describe this is when, when someone feels lousy, they act lousy. And while you, Clayton, you can't make me feel anything. You try and explain that to a couple of kids who are fighting. It's like, yeah, it's her fault that I'm... And so when, when my 10-year-old does something to my 7-year-old, my 7-year-old says, you made me feel angry. You made this happen. You made that happen. And, and, and it's extraordinary when you say to the kids, well, no one can make you do this, but you're now blaming them for how you felt. Actions have consequences. Hey, guess what, 10-year-old? When you do these things and your sister feels this, whether she's choosing to feel that or not, when she feels vengeful... What you should expect is that because she's feeling lousy, she's going to act lousy. Because she feels vengeful, she's going to retaliate. She's going she's to come at you and it's not going to be nice. So what have we got to do to fix this? And, and that's really what I think the, the big question is. Once we've got perspective, once we've got some empathy and some feelings, how do we fix this? Mm. I, st I, I reckon parents need to stay right out of it then. Just step back and say, well, what do you guys think?
Yeah. <laughs> and every now and again, they'll be like, well, I think that we should have separate rooms and I think <laughs> I should never talk to her again. And she's not coming to my birthday party. And they say all this sort of stuff and uh, it's not really realistic. And when they say that sort of thing, you say, wouldn't that be awesome? Don't you just wish sometimes that you, know, that, that you didn't have to put up with your sister? I mean, I feel the same way about both of you. No, no, don't say that. <laughs> but but if, you, you know, you, you do kind of feel like that. Yeah. Um, but it's really about working through this repair process with some empathy and then saying, all right, what are we going to do next time? How can we make this better? How do we repair this? Yeah. Great stuff. Some incredible advice from Dr. Justin Coulson. Now we're going to be back. We don't have much more time with uh, Justin, but he's going to be with us for a couple more minutes because next we want to have a chat about how can we start building? We've already heard a little bit there, but some other tips and hints from Justin around helping our children build some resilience during this time of COVID as well. That's on the way next year on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light, your in-community conversation with Clayton. And joining us is Dr. Justin Coulson. He is uh, the man behind Happy Families. He's a parenting expert. And we've been hearing already uh, some of the hints and tips that he has uh, for us as we go through this stage four lockdown, especially with our families. Justin, I want to talk uh, briefly about some, some more of those ideas for us around helping our kids build resilience. They're facing so many different things at the moment. Um, and it does feel like they're just completely in the middle of that fire pit. And, you know, they're, they're being forced to, to get resilience in some ways. But are there best ways we as parents can help them build resilience to all the various things that are happening for them at the moment during stage four lockdown? Yeah, Clayton, I think it's really important that we get clear on what resilience is before we talk about building resilience and and maybe there's even something better than resilience so when we when we typically talk about resilience most of the the experts out there will say well resilience is when you bounce bounce back from hard times uh, and, and i think that that's kind of a it's a it's a reasonable workable kind of definition but i i don't know when i think about the hard times that i've been through i never really bounced back from any of them they changed me. They, they went through me and they transformed me in some way. At least that's what I want them to do because I want to be a better person. I want to learn from the hard times so that I can be more compassionate or so that I can be a, a better human or so that I can be stronger next time or whatever it might be. So typically when we talk about something that's fragile, anything that, you know, volatility and randomness and uh, unexpected events, they, they cause fragile things to break. But if something's resilient, it stands strong in the face of it thing is i reckon at times like this we can be more than just resilient i think that we can actually go beyond resilient we can grow we can become stronger because of a hard time now we don't really have a word for that in our language so we can continue to use the word resilient and and that might actually that might actually the the technical definition of resilience is that we are able to grow and leave and, and have positive developmental outcomes as a result of trials and challenges. That's the, that's the actual, the best definition of resilience that I've seen, which is definitely a lot more than just being strong in the face of adversity. It's actually growing because of adversity. Yeah. Grow resilient. Maybe that's a new world word we can come up with. Grow resilient. Let, let's think? do it. Yeah. yeah let's right. <laughs> create it right now. Look at us go. We, we're, we're scholars and academics. In the yes, that's and, and so Clayton, what I, what I think is that we've probably got to look at a couple of things when it comes to this idea of resilience and and growth and talk about how we can help our children to get bigger better stronger more compassionate more capable whatever the characteristic is to me the way that we do that is that we set an example first of all of looking at what we can do you know how can i become stronger how can i become better because of this 
And secondly, we talk to them about it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an analogy that we use in our home all the time. So I'm a cyclist. I love to ride my bicycle. I'm a road rider. I used to ride competitively. I'm still toying with whether or not to get back into the competitive side, but with six kids in a business, maybe not just yet. Anyway, if I want to become a stronger cyclist, do I ride uphill or downhill? Yeah, it's good. You know, downhill's fun. Downhill's fast and it's easy and it's smooth. But if I want to become a stronger cyclist, I need to build my muscles and I don't build muscles riding downhill. I've got to ride uphill. Mm. And so I say to my kids all the time, guys, you know, this, this is hard, but you've got to love the hills because mm. the hills make you strong. And when you get to the top of the hill, my goodness, the view is sublime. It's just so good to be at the top of that hill. And then you get to enjoy the rush of riding down the hill anyway, but you've done the hard work to earn the opportunity to ride down the hill. And so I reckon when we've got that kind of a mindset, you know, Epictetus said people are not disturbed by things, but by the view they take of them. Mm. I wrote a book called nine ways to a resilient child. And in the front of that book, I dedicated it to my six daughters and, and, and wrote a little quote. I don't even remember where I found it or, or, or you know, the, the, the origins of it, but it was something along the lines of when life puts you in a tight spot, don't sit there, cry and say, why me stand tall and say, try me. I, you know, that's, that's so inspiring. That's about growth and opportunity. And yeah, I, I reckon if you want to help your kids to be resilient or more, if you want them to grow resiliently through this, then you have those conversations. You sit with them and say, I know it's really hard. What can we do so that we can be better because of this? How do we grow because of this? You've got to love the hills. It's those conversations that we have with our kids where we model it and talk about it and be, be strong ourselves that we, we show it off quick quick point resilient people still hide under the covers and cry every now and again mm. it's just the, the the most resilient among us we get back up and we get stuck into it yeah. and and a really important point if you're dealing with mental health issues sometimes you're the most resilient of all because in the midst of your depression or your anxiety or your stress or your dramas the family falling apart and losing jobs and all that kind of thing if you can still get up in spite of that I mean, that's what resilience really is. That's, it's, it's not having a positive mental attitude. It's saying, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to yeah. be stronger because of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, that ability to, um, to uh, have a, a mindset change um, in those moments, uh, I think is what I'm hearing through that as well of, of, of how can I uh, assess that? How can I judge that? How can I help myself say, it's okay to be like this right now, to be under the covers, to be crying, but uh, I'm going to get out eventually and I'm going to keep my going. Um, Justin, thank you so much for your time. I, like, literally, I think we could talk for hours and we could cover off a whole host of topics. So I just want to do mention that there is a, a free webinar, which you actually did this week. So if you head to Dr. Justin Coulson, Happy Families on Facebook, and you've done it actually specifically for Victorian families who are going through stage four lockdown. Um, firstly, thank you for doing that. We'll put some links up on our web uh, page as well. But uh, the, the heart for that, and I suppose the, the desire for that, you know, you're up in Queensland, you could have just kept, you know, going and shooting out the various articles and the books and things, but uh, you took the time to do that. Was it a personal link or you just went, hey, look, I've just got to do something to, to help my Victorian brothers and sisters? Yeah, pretty much. I was talking to my team and I said, oh, geez, you know, can you imagine being in Victoria right now? And they said, oh, it must be so hard. And, and I said, well, what can we do? Uh, and uh, we bounced it around and I said, well, let, we've, we've got a few days to put it together, but let's do a, let's do a webinar and let's just do what we can to help. So I, it was called lightening the lockdown load. And 
Um, I'm sure you'll be able to link to it uh, on your pages, but if people want to find it on Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families, uh, it was Wednesday night. You just need to scroll back through the through the Facebook timeline. Uh, I might even see if my team can pin it to our to our Facebook page to the top of it. But yeah, we, we've um, we've we've got that there, and the feedback. I mean, we had we had something like ten and a half, eleven thousand people sign up for it. The feedback wow. was fantastic, and um, yeah, really really grateful to to be able to help and to have have a platform where I can say, Hey, Victoria, I'm here. I I'm looking after you. I, I want to help as much as I can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for helping us this evening. We so appreciate it, Justin. Uh, and as we said, you know, certainly impacted my parenting and my, my family's uh, life uh, in a huge way. And I'm sure you would have done that for a whole lot more uh, again tonight. Thanks again for your time. Really grateful. Thank you, Clayton. Dr. Justin Coulson here on 89.9 The Light.